Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, last week we talked about how the flesh lies to us and how it misleads us when it comes to, uh, you know, what we might think that we need or in life and all, all the rest of it. Eugene Peterson, from the uh, author of the Message Bible, which is a, a paraphrased Bible, uh, says it this way, that the flesh is the corruption that sin introduced to our appetites and our instincts. In Galatians chapter 5, it becomes described in verse 19, says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. In other words, they're really obvious, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the list is, is rather extensive. And, and as you, you know, look at that list, you, know, you, you might just consider it to be in some ways extreme, uh, you know, almost like borderline criminal activity and or very immoral, all these sorts of things. But it's actually talking about things that we do or might experience others doing in daily life as well. These things happen in relationships at home or, uh, you know, in, in the workplace or whatever it may be. We can look at this list, though, and, and be a little bit dismissive where we can think to ourselves, wow, you know, that, that's pretty heavy. But, you know, I, I'm not going home and spending hours on the Internet looking at pornography. Uh, I'm not getting drunk on the weekends, you know. I, I'm not involved in any criminal activity. But the flesh or corrupt desires and ways actually operate in our life with a lot more uh, subtlety, if you will, than that. They're not that overt. It's, it's a conversation that turns to tearing somebody down. It's that. It's spending, but then not really looking at what's motivating the spending when it's actually rooted in comparison. It's when our, our tone of voice changes and the volume raises in order to make our point and get our way. It's the constant conflict that might be happening in relationships in your life. It's when we make choices like choosing laziness and procrastination over effort. It's when we choose comfort over being inconvenienced because it's going to actually help somebody else if we'll go that route. Or, or choosing compromise because it's easier than sticking to our convictions, which may keep us, all of that, from God's best for our life. Our goal though, is to live in freedom from the flesh. We gave a definition of that freedom last week when we said freedom is the capacity to master the flesh and not follow its desires. This, by the way, is why we run freedom groups. We've already started this semester. There'll be another semester that'll come up again. But freedom groups really are about this, the fact that when we give our life to Jesus, the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. You're right. Your spirit is changed. Jesus comes into your heart. Your conscience is, is cleared. All, all of that is wonderful. But I still have the same soul. I still have the same thoughts. I still have the hurts of my past. I still have my bad habits. All of these things that I work through, that process, by the way, in the Bible is called sanctification. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Freedom is recognizing 
This isn't going to happen just because, you know, somebody lays hands on me, rubs the hair off my head, and speaks in tongues at the same time. It's going to happen because I'm going to not just put out a spiritual effort, if you will, but I'm going to get God's Word into my heart. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God to change what's going on in the inside of me. So, so much for my advertisement for freedom, but there it is. You have it. If you've not taken it, you you really should. Okay, I want to have a look today at four different ways that we can live in freedom from the flesh. First one is this. Don't minimize what needs to stop in your life. Don't minimize what needs to stop in your life. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. This is no small thing. What the Scripture is saying is this, is that the flesh is actually opposing the Spirit of God in your life. In other words, when we choose the flesh, we're always choosing less than God's best. Probably one of the worst judgment calls that we can make in life is to look at our weaknesses and look at our bad habits and other ways that we allow the flesh maybe to happen in our life and then to minimize it in our own mind. To be able to look at, you know, an issue in our life and go, well, it's not that big of a deal. Or to say to ourselves, well, it it doesn't really affect me. I, I can handle it. It only happens once in a while. Uh, you know, I always apologize. It's not really hurting anyone. God forgives me after all. You know, my friends and my family, they understand. I can't help it. These are all ways that we talk to ourselves to justify with the idea that if I kind of minimize it, if you can think about, you know, a computer screen and how you can have different pages open and then you can click minimize and that thing goes down to a little little dot in the corner. Well, it's still there. It's still there. And this is what we do sometimes with areas of the flesh. We minimize what we should be removing. These are the lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves to justify not dealing with ourselves. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. When we yield to the flesh, though we might minimize it in our own thoughts, what God wants us to know is that it's a seed. It's a seed. That's the comparison that he makes in the scripture. That seed might start with just a, just a thought in our head that maybe we don't deal with, and we allow that thought, but then that thought becomes an action. Now that action becomes a habit, and now that habit actually becomes our character. That is, it becomes the type of person that we are. But our character determines our place in the lives of people around us because it establishes trust in relationships. That's what our character does. And so your talent and your skill can actually take you to a place where your character can't sustain you. In other words, if we haven't dealt with these things and we've allowed those seeds to grow and to stay and to, you know, if you will, produce a plant in our life of some kind, 
What that is, is that's our character. And even though we're talented, even though we're skilled, that character thing, that flaw, that thing that's not been addressed cannot sustain you to stay there. If you consider what sowing to the flesh could grow into, then perhaps you won't minimize your view of it. You know, people have paid a really high price for issues of the flesh that they've minimized in their mind and not dealt with. The anger that never got under control. The constant strife that they accepted as normal behavior. The, the lust that was never dealt with in their life. And, and people have paid really high prices for it. I've, I've known numbers of people in different ways that have paid a price. Maybe it was a price with their job. Uh, I remember my son worked at a place one time, I think it was a welding shop or something of this nature, and, and he said the, the anger and the strife was so bad one day that the boss literally sent everybody home and closed down shop for the entire day. Just absolutely out of control. People that have paid a price with ministry roles, leaders whose ministries ended in disgrace, or, or even team members who have had to step down because of just the constant conflict that they, they create with their presence. Marriages that end in divorce because someone won't address their problems. It's not about having a problem, it's about not addressing it and continuing to sow in that direction. The respect lost of family members, uh, kids who won't call or visit, that's it, we're done. The trust of friends that gets lost. Um, the em employers who have employees that, that keep resigning because they won't tolerate in you what your family might be tolerating. All because the seed continued to be sown and continued to grow and manifest a problem in their life that became their character flaw that now limits their life. Don't minimize the seed. Don't listen to the lie that says it's no big deal. It's always easiest to pull out the weeds when they're small. And listen, the best time to deal with your flesh was yesterday. But today is a lot better timing than waiting till tomorrow. That's the way this thing works. Be immediate about it. Here's the next thought. Focus on you, not the things around you. Focus on you, not the things around you. There are so many things that happen around us that we have uh, no control over. You know, which friends might betray you? Who, who might gossip about you and what they might say? Uh, which sickness you might have to battle even in life? Um, the poor decision of other drivers. Oh, you met some on the way to church, did you? Um, where do these people get licenses? It's just unbelievable. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off track. I can just stand here and tell stories for the rest of the service about drivers. Um, the weather, uh, you know, all, all these different things. The problems that are, uh, you're facing in your circumstance. It's so easy to gravitate to that, to go there, to think this is, you know, this is what my issue is. Yet often, this is where our, we just turn our attention when it comes to uh, facing things that we want to change. We look at what's going on around us. We fixate. Listen, 
on what you can't control, on what you can't control. And, and when you do that, you just get more frustrated about it. And we have conversations in our head with people who need to change because they do need to change, don't they? Come on, give me an amen on that. There are people around you that need to change. Let's face it. But they might change and they might not. You don't have control over that. You don't have control over many things that happen to you, but you always have control over how you will respond to it. Rather than wasting your time complaining, regretting, murmuring, considering, getting angry and frustrated about what you can't control, focus on the one thing that you can control, and that is yourself. There's only one thing, just one thing. That's it. I know you think, oh, maybe, maybe. No, no, no. One thing you can control. That's you. That's it. That's the only thing you got. Though I am tempted to try to control things around me, self-control is really my only option. It's not our option. It is the only option. When we fixate on what we can't control but want to change, it becomes our excuse for being in the flesh. Hey, I want to control this. I want to change this. This is irritating to me. This is frustrating to me. Therefore, now I feel justified by my anger and my frustration and my impatience. Why? Because I'm focused on what I can't control. But if I'll stop focusing on what I can't control, focus on what I can control, guess what? I can help myself from being angry. I can help myself from being frustrated. I can help myself from being discouraged. After all, look at what happens. I can't do anything about it. I've run out of options. That becomes our mentality when we focus on things that are out of our control. We begin to feel like there's nothing I can do. But when we focus on the one thing that we can control, that one thing being yourself, being myself, there's a lot that we can do. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supplying moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to be diligent about these things. These are things that belong to you that you can change in your life. You see, I can choose my attitude. I can choose my words. I can choose my direction. I can choose my disposition. I can choose patience. I can choose tolerance. I can choose forbearance. I can choose faith and hope and love. I can choose all those things. I can choose to believe the best. I can choose to do my best. I can choose to learn. I can choose joy. I can choose peace. I can choose to let go. I can choose to hang on. I can choose to pray. Listen, when you focus on yourself, you have a lot of options. You don't get to choose the season of life you may be in in your life, but you do get to choose your response in the season. And how you respond in the season will impact what comes next. In fact, how you're responding in your season impacts your experience in the season. So you might be going through a difficult time, but your difficult time doesn't mean that you have to be miserable through it. That was not a big enough amen. You can be going through some difficult times, some really challenging things that are bothering you and upsetting you, but 
making the right choices means even though everything is difficult, it's messy, it's not great, I'm great. I'm doing good. God's on my side. I have favor. I, I just believe the Lord is working with me. I can walk in peace. I've already prayed about it. Today I'm choosing joy. This isn't joyful, but I'm joyful in my unjoyful situation. Come on. Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You don't manage the flesh, you crucify it. Your habits, by the way, are how you crucify the flesh. So how do I crucify the flesh? Get the right habits. Your habits in life are what will set an agenda of what you will do and won't do. Here's the other thing they'll do. They'll set an agenda as to what's most likely to tempt you or not tempt you. I don't know about you, but I would sooner be on the side of guardrails that keep me from temptation rather than going past that to the guardrail that keeps me from mistake and a fall. Your habits in life will set an agenda for you. They close the door on temptation because you set up habits that are actually boundaries to you. They make decisions for you, listen, without consulting your feelings. And this is one of the ways that you overcome the flesh. The flesh tends to operate in the, the realm of, how do I feel? How do I feel? How do I feel? When you learn to stop asking how you feel and tell yourself how to feel, you'll do a lot better. You close the door on temptation. You make decisions without consulting feelings. That's why the scripture tells us to be what? Diligent about self-control. Now, here's the thing that happens. Sometimes in Christianity, we're like, Man, I just, you know, I have the Holy Spirit and I'm dealing with some things in my life, but man, I'm just expecting the Spirit of God just to, to set me free and it's, it's all good, it's all wonderful, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And that's good, there's a place for that. Obviously, we need God's empowerment. If you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need Jesus. And then there's the other side, which can become a ditch where it's like, I'm gonna overcome the flesh by the power of my flesh. And it's like, no, that's not gonna work either. But here's what we do need. We need to be diligent about self-control and we need to embrace the presence of God and see the two of them work together to empower us to walk in freedom. It's not an either or thing. It's a both and thing. That's why the scripture says, be diligent with self-control. One of the ways you do that is you just build certain routines and habits and ways of life that protect you and protect your family. Parents, don't have your kids have a private website access computer in their bedroom. So quiet. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Why? Because we're being diligent about self-control. Oh, but my kid loves Jesus, goes to risen, sings with their hands in the air. <laughs> Guess what? They also have a body. They also are a spiritual being living in flesh. I just trust them. You shouldn't even trust you. <laughs> Don't trust that. Set up some habits, some boundaries, some guardrails so that you don't have to trust them. Instead, you protect them. 
Mm-hmm. In working relationships, not having private meetings, one-on-one lunches with the opposite sex that is not your spouse. Again, it's quiet. But let me say this. Affairs don't start in a bedroom. They start in your heart. And it's little things like this. It's like, it's guardrails. It's protection. It's diligence with self-control. It's wisdom. It's all of that stuff. It's like, if I set up my boundaries as to where I don't want to be tempted, then I'm pretty likely not to get to the boundary to where I fall and have a mess in my hands. I better move along. Okay. (laughs) Okay, third thought. Guide your beliefs and your thoughts with your words. Guide your beliefs and your thoughts with your words. James chapter three and verse two. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. What a powerful statement. If you don't, if you don't stumble with what you're saying, you're actually guiding your entire life. Now, if we put the bit into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and driven by strong winds, they still are directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by a small fire. Our words really do set the course of the day. And every day, you are faced with a choice about how you're gonna greet the day, take on the day, and what's gonna come out of your mouth. I mean, you can get up and you can start that day with discouraging words. You can get up and look at your day and be like, oh, another day, I gotta go to work today. And you know, and then look at us, oh, look at the weather, what it's doing. And, and then you're watching the news in the morning. Oh my gosh, look at that awful traffic I have to drive through. And oh boy, more construction. When will it ever end? It's never going to end. It's never going to end. Listen, no wonder you don't have a smile on your face. You've just talked yourself out of joy. You haven't even gotten in your car yet. Talked yourself into another depressed day. But at the same time, you can face plenty of things going on in your life and have, a, have an, an exclamation, if you will, about your life that says, you know what, today's going to be a great day. God's on my side today. I believe the grace of God is with me today. I believe the favor of the Lord is gonna manifest in everything I'm doing. I'm just expecting to see God show up. I just, I'm gonna have a fantastic time at work. I'm gonna meet some great people. I'm believing for an opportunity to shine the light of the gospel today. I know the Holy Spirit's empowering me. It's gonna be a good day. This is called choosing the spirit over the flesh. This is called choosing a spirit of joy, a spirit of happiness, a spirit of hope, faith, and love and expectation, that's what it means to put the spirit ahead of the flesh. The other thing is in your circumstances, you can tear it down even more with your words or you can choose to speak faith and hope into every situation. God's gonna get us through this. You can can be in tough times, but that can be what comes out of your mouth. God's gonna get us through this. Things are gonna work out okay. 
Uh, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to make it here. I, I'm still trusting the Lord through all of this. Let, let's just make the best of this situation and believe for the Lord to turn it around. I have to say that for some people, to be frank with you, I think it comes easier than for others. You are what I call high grace people. High grace people. They get in a, you know, a situation, they're like, yeah, God's gonna take care of it. It'll all work out. And, and, and if you're not that kind of person, you're sitting beside them going, what are you smoking? <laughs> We're on a highway. We have a flat tire. This isn't a time to be happy. No, here's, here's the deal, though. Maybe you're not like that kind of person, but maybe you're a little bit like me. A little bit like I like to control things. I like to have it all figured out. A bit of a perfectionist. A bit of an intense personality. And so when things aren't going well, I can tend to take that personally and then sort of be angry at myself and not embrace the fact that you don't have control over everything and you need to chill out and realize that. Your words you choose in a moment of conflict are either quickly resolving or inflaming situations. You know, though we may feel upset, though we may feel angry, though we may feel uh, injustice, being wise with our words controls all of that instead of letting those feelings rule us. The flesh can be fueled by what you say, but guess what? So can the spirit be fueled by what you say. It's all about what you choose to have come out of your mouth. That's why the scripture tells us that we're to control the whole body with our words, that we can speak the promises of God over our life and set expectations of what the Lord is gonna do. And when we do that, it's kind of a prayer almost. You know, It's like we're taking the word of God and we're getting up and going about our day saying, you know what? There's no temptation that has come upon me today that God hasn't made a way of escape. Uh, you know, sin will not be master over me. I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I choose today forgiveness, because why? Because God has forgiven me, and we set the agenda for our lives to walk in the Spirit. Here's the last one. Self-control is empowered by having a vision for your life. Self-control is empowered by having a vision for your life. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, People are unrestrained. In other words, when there's no vision, there's no reason to have self-control. Just do whatever you feel like. Without a vision, there isn't the motivation for self-control. If you don't have a vision for your finances, you just spend without restraint. If you don't have a vision for your family, you can just waste your time doing whatever you feel like instead of putting energy into the family that God has entrusted to you. If you don't have a vision for what God wants to do with your life, why, why bother seeking him? Why bother praying? Why bother spending time in his word and listening to the Holy Spirit in your life? If you don't have a vision for your health, just eat whatever, wherever. The same can be said about holiness. If you don't have a vision for holiness, then you're gonna look at holiness as just the job of a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian, so there's things I'm supposed to do and things I'm not supposed to do because we're supposed to be holy. Well, that sounds exciting. I'll follow Jesus. No, I won't. Um, Hebrews chapter one, verse nine, though, gives us vision for holiness. It's one of the passages for it. Here's what it says. You have loved righteousness. This is out of the amplified version. Integrity, virtue, uprightness, and purpose, and have hated lawlessness, injustice, and sin. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. God's promise for holiness and living a godly life 
is that you will actually have more joy over others who are not choosing to follow him. The scripture unashamedly declares above your companions. That's where your joy will be because of choosing godliness, because of choosing holiness. Vision is the motivation for self-control because self-control always says no to something when it says yes to something. If I wanna say yes to a financial vision, I have to say no to spending practices that sabotage it like impulse buying. If I wanna say yes to my vision for my family, I have to say no to opportunities that are just time wasters. If I wanna say yes to what God wants for my life, I have to say no to the distractors. If I wanna say yes to a happy, peaceful home, I have to say no to complaining and arguing and raised voices. Galatians chapter five and verse 16 says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, when I say yes to the spirit life, I'm saying no to the flesh. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul describes walking with vision in his life this way. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body, I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified. Paul's saying, listen, I've got some vision for what God wants to do with my life. That's why I live a disciplined life. I understand that embracing discipline in my life empowers me to fulfill the purposes of God for my life. And so with vision, like Paul, you will sacrifice for your vision. You will fight for your vision. You'll make right choices, not emotional choices for your vision. You will endure for your vision. When vision gets a hold of your life, it demands self-control, but it also motivates it at the same time. You move from requirement to motivation. Not I have to, but I want to. A clear vision will empower you to discipline the flesh and stay on course with your life. Am I spending my time in a way that builds my vision? Or has life just become the default of no vision which is usually television? Am I building the kind of relationships that are supporting the purposes of God in my life? Or are my relationships constantly in conflict with my values? Am I managing my finances to achieve a vision or do I just spend with impulse? Am I choosing holiness or am I accommodating secret sin? Without a vision, we lack the ability to restrain our lives and the flesh just keeps winning. God wants to fill your life with vision. He wants to give you reason for right choices. Vision empowers you to address the flesh. Let's stand as we take a moment to pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray for everyone who's here. And Lord, I, I pray where the enemy has lied and said, oh, it's a small thing. It doesn't matter. It's not that big a deal. In the name of Jesus, may we never accept that lie. Lord, whatever we do with our life is sowing a seed. And as your word says, we're either sowing to a great future, a future built by God, one where the spirit of God is blessing us and rewarding us, or we can be sowing in a wrong direction. 
and reaping a terrible harvest. Lord, may we not minimize what you call that is literally against the will of God and against the Spirit of God working in our life. Instead, Lord, I thank you for empowering us to address it, to deal with it, to not uh, just say to ourselves, it doesn't matter when your word says it does matter. And Lord, I also pray for each of us to have great vision in our hearts for what you wanna do through our lives. Lord, a reason to pursue the Holy Spirit, a reason to read our Bibles, a reason to walk in holiness because Lord, we're following you and we want what you have for our lives. So Jesus says, we make decisions and choices against the flesh and for the Spirit and everything in life. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're gonna bring about a reaping that you're gonna bring about a rewarding, that you're gonna bring about your will and your purposes and your plan for our life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for people that may be here and say, I'm not really sure I have vision. I'm not really sure I, I see what it is. God, as they spend time with you this week, would you just fill their hearts? Would you just speak to them about their future and the life they can have? Would you just, Lord, remind them that you want to use them, work with them, work through them, and build a great life that represents the kingdom. In Jesus' name. With the heads bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. And it's for people that would be here today that would say, I believe in Jesus, but I can't say I've been following Jesus. A lot of times, people misunderstand salvation by saying, oh, it's about being a believer or not being a believer. But it's not actually what Scripture says. Scripture actually tells us that the devil believes and we know he's not following Jesus. And so when all it is is I believe in Jesus, but I haven't surrendered my life to follow Jesus, we don't see the impact of Christ in our lives. We don't see the activity of God. We don't see the Spirit of God working with us. We don't have that, that same experience of relationship with him because to be honest with you, we haven't come into relationship on his terms. And his terms are this, Jesus is Lord. That means he's leader, he's in charge. He's the one we're following. He's the one who created us, knows the plan of God for our life that we should be passionate about. And I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray with those who are watching online. I wanna pray with those who are in the room. And if you would say to yourself, you know what, I believe in Jesus, but I can't say that I've surrendered to follow him. This is your moment. This is your day to make that choice. So let's all pray together in support of those who are praying. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and you rose again to pay for the sins of the world. And I ask you to forgive my past. But I also confess you as Lord of my life and surrender to following you with all of my heart from this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.